This series of podcasts is about the craft of preaching, especially using TED Talk methods and concepts to level up this craft. TED Talks are about an idea worth sharing. We believe the gospel message of Jesus is the ultimate idea worth sharing. The TED methodology, we think, has something to offer because it's about a disciplined process of developing a talk and about delivering the talk in a powerful and authentic way. My name is Charles Lipp. I'm the co-host with Mike Rowe. I am the organizer of TEDx Lake Junaluska and bring the perspective of TED Talks. And Mike, why don't you introduce yourself? I spent 40 years in ministry. The first 12 were as a youth pastor. After that, I was senior pastors in two places on Cape Cod and in Illinois. So after 40 years, I moved to Western North Carolina so I could engage in other aspects of ministry, like preaching podcasts. Thanks, Mike. For your career, how, about how many sermons have you preached? When you passed that question to me earlier, I had to stop and calculate that it's somewhere at least 2,500, probably closer to 3,000 because not all the sermons I preached were at my church. I preached in different places and different locations. So I'm guessing 2,800, 2,900 sermons in my career. Wow. That's a lot of messages. And you probably picked up a point or two along the way. Well, I also had the privilege of having speaking professor at a college in the area in my congregation. So he took me under his wing and coached me along the way and helped me improve my skill. So did he actually help like with editing messages? Not, not so much the theologic aspects, but in terms of structure, in terms of delivery, there were idiosyncrasies that I had that I didn't even know I was doing. There were uh, patterns of delivery there were introductions that were far too long that I took me a while to get to the point of the point, you know. So I had coaches all along the way. So what you're saying really reminds me of, of the process of in coaching and working with the coaches and working with the speakers. You realize the same things apply. Correct. Because uh, a speaker, once they make a first draft of their talk, there's often a lot of editing. There's things that uh, actually don't need to be there, that they kind of start slow and maybe uh, have a few rabbit trails along the way, which uh, can distract. Correct. In my mind, there's there's a lot, a lot of similarities. I would agree. Um, so t- TEDx, from, from not only just being authentic, but the whole process of developing a sermon is really, there's a lot, there's a lot of similarities. Yes. And and if I can jump in, the, the thing I got thinking about, Ted, and at first I thought TED Talks don't really come close to sermons because sermons you got to do every week and you got to keep them fresh and you got to keep them compelling. And But TED Talks, you're just doing one off. But that's not really the case because you're doing a talk in the context of how many other hundreds and thousands of top quality speakers 
And the question that is in the minds of the listeners, why should I listen to this person? Why should I listen to this speaker? That That's a challenge. The TED Talks that are on YouTube, you see some talks over years get a couple hundred views, mm-hmm. and yet over maybe the same time, uh, some other talks get a million views. Yeah. What's the difference? Mm-hmm. Because they they engage. They engage with the audience. If you're listening to a YouTube video, it's easy to, to, to drift away. Do you think a congregant might drift away? If you're None talking, of mine ever did. None of no. yours ever did? No. Oh, okay. So I was okay there. <laughs> I guess I have, uh, from the front, I've seen more than a couple of people with their eyes kind of droopy. And I know that was just me that no one, no other pastor has ever seen that. My public speaking coach told me that he could always tell when people's eyes got droopy in the congregation because I would get louder. <laughs> that was my method of, wake up! We keep talking about TEDx. How is it, how is it that you came interested and engaged in TEDx? TEDx, as different from TED... TED is the kind of the, I guess, international organization uh, headquartered in New York City, led by Chris Anderson, that produces annual meeting or two with a few thousand attendees. They have license to independent local organizations the ability to use the TED name and to take that methodology, that structure, and have a locally organized independent event. And Mm. X stands for for independent. How did I get involved? I first attended uh, TEDx Greenville in Greenville, South Carolina, just uh, about 90 miles from here. Kind of got engaged a little bit with with that group. But on on the ride home, I thought to myself, you know, we have a community that has, uh, has a lot of very interesting people. Maybe we could have one here. So I applied for a license that was granted. Last year, we produced our first event in the midst of COVID and delivered uh, seven talks, and those are available on, on YouTube. Hence, on the stage, it said TEDx Lake Junaluska. For those who do not know, Lake Junaluska is in western North Carolina, close to the Smoky Mountains. You know, many people find TED Talks engaging. Why do you think that the people find them engaging? Well, the thing I thought about on that regard, Chuck, is that preaching and teaching are similar genre, so they're not exclusive, but yet they are different. That in the art of good teaching, the imperative is to communicate the information to get the data across to the students. Whereas in preaching, there's a look for a response that at the end of each sermon, you're asking your listener to take what was said and do a life change. Well, TED Talks are kind of a combination of both of those. Every TED Talk, you, you learn a great deal. But at the end, the point is but what what's the difference what the, how is this going to change you and sometimes it does other times it doesn't but that's the dynamic of a ted talk in working with speakers the idea we're sharing 
we have always asked them to say express that as a positive, actionable mm. idea worth sharing. That's correct. And if, and if you have those two attributes, it seems that that's really very common with, with sermons yep. and with, with TED Talks. Very much so. A college professor that I interacted with a few years ago, actually a chemistry professor, he said a good lecture rearranges the mental furniture in an irreversible way. Hmm. You can't go back to thinking about uh, an aspect of chemistry in the way you used to after a good lecture. Do you think that applies to a sermon? Well, first, I find that very interesting because in my mind, I mean, chemistry, it's about elements. It's about very um, technical things. So changing of attitudes and opinions. And yet here's this chemical or chemistry professor saying, that's what I'm trying to do. I'm not just talking about the elements chart. I'm talking about what that has to do with life. <laughs> That's fabulous. Indeed, indeed. Uh, one of the, the TED Talks from TEDx Greenville uh, was about mass shooters and why mass shooters aren't insane. And when you first hear that title, you say, That's wrong. I just reacted. Just kind of, I, I saw your reaction. You said, that's wrong. But after you hear the talk, you realize that by the definitions, the legal definitions of criminal insanity, they're not. There are some really serious psychological issues. There are some serious cultural issues. But we, if, we, if we call those people insane we're really demeaning people who have true mental illness, putting them in the same bucket with the, the mass shooters. Mm -hmm. So it was a, a talk that uh, really caused me to think about it in a different way mm -hmm. and think about a subject that is most uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. So Mike, what, what are your favorite uh, TED Talks? Well, the one that immediately comes to my mind is the one given approximately seven years ago. At the time, it was uh, five years prior to the outbreak of the pandemic. But like I said, five years prior to that event, Bill Gates gave a talk on the coming pandemic. And therein was one of those things when I alluded to things got to change. <laughs> Unfortunately for Bill, it it didn't change. Unfortunately for thousands or, or millions. millions of people around the Correct. world, it, it didn't change. And we're suffering with that ongoing trauma still. But from our vantage point five years later, it just amazed me at how each element that he included in his watch for this, this is coming, this is going to happen. We could look back now and say, exactly, exactly, exactly. We just didn't do anything with it, you know? That, so, that, that call to action wasn't heeded by anyone. No. And that there are various resources out there for preachers where sermons are pre-written by others. You can buy these. What I've experienced personally and what I've observed with others, you can tell when the guy in the pulpit, when this comes from his heart and his own stretching and his own learning, and when he's delivering something canned. <laughs> and I'm not trying to denigrate those who 
try to help preachers because preparation. Well, it's 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 a chore. It's a it's a it's a treadmill where you've got a message to deliver every, every week. Every week, or you might have a couple to deliver every week. Yep, and that can be exhausting. But delivering that message in an authentic way, rather than the outline that you can. I mean, I think that's part of the question with uh, preachers who preach the lectionary. Right. Is that you have a lot of content there. How do you make it yours? And the preachers who do that, regardless of which denomination, are the ones that the people resonate with because they make that lectionary message their own as opposed to just reading it out of a book. One of the, the major resources for uh, for TED is a book written by Chris Anderson. Mm. And uh, it's the Official Guide to Public Speaking, and I think it's approximately the right title. It'll, it'll be in the show notes. But he's he's had the front row seat in seeing literally thousands of TED Talks, helping to the back the backstage coaching and development uh, with with a number of talks. And so he shares that in that book, and I guess I found that as an organizer, someone that's a that's a beautiful resource because there's a lot of learning and insight uh, available there. But one of the things that that I've noted there is he he strongly suggests that that you focus on one idea, mm. a single idea, support that idea, but he, he calls it a through line. Mm-hmm. Uh, I believe you might call it something different. Well, the teaching that I got way, way back just after Noah came out of the ark that um, you would you would call it your propositional statement that if there was one phrase, one statement in your whole 25 to 30 minutes or more that you wanted the people to walk away with, what was it? And then everything else came off the propositional statement. So so that's kind of the backbone. Correct. And And that's exactly how in in the past week, I've been we've been talking with the, the TED speakers for the upcoming year. You know, is highlighting what that propositional statement, what that through line is, what that idea we're sharing, because everything else has to hang off of that. That mm-hmm. has to support everything else in the talk. Mm-hmm. If it if you have rabbit trails from there. Or other things, it's 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 it can be very distracting, and and, and it, it's not it's not easy. That, and as the talk develops, as the sermon develops, the through line may evolve. Now, well, every once in a while, and I mean once in a while, Chuck, a propositional statement would just come to me. I really want to speak on this, and then I wouldn't did my research. But when you're doing expositional preaching, meaning you're going through verse by verse or chapter by chapter in the scriptures, it's the scripture that gives you your propositional statement, your big idea. And sometimes it doesn't come through right away. Mm-hmm. That The book of James, for example, it's a lot of just progression of different thoughts. And there is logic and progression to it. On a cursory reading of James, it kind of feels like he's going all over the place. Okay, so what's the big idea in this section? What's the big idea? And you may have to do an awful lot of reading and research and language study, and then suddenly it comes to you. 
and you, you, but you've got to put it down because the key to know, this is how you know whether you've got your propositional statement is when your wife says, what are you preaching on this Sunday? As mine would, my wife. If I could not answer her in a concise statement, I didn't, I hadn't done you, my homework yet. You, you weren't ready. No, I wasn't. And I had to go back and say, okay, focus this thing. Get it down to where when the people walk out, they can repeat what I was all about. Right. And that's, and that's exactly the same thing with a TED Talk. Exactly. And in the early stages of, of uh, talk, working with speakers is what's your idea worth sharing? Express it in a sentence or two and not in a paragraph. It takes, often takes a while for a TED speaker to really home in on exactly how you compactly express it because it's, it's, it's not as easy. And that's not to say, because uh, at first I, we, I've been working on a book called Simplify the Message, Multiply the Impact by Talbot Davis. And it's taking that big idea thing and structuring it. He doesn't, it's not that he doesn't say, okay, you can have your sub points to help people follow your progression of reasoning, but it's not, it's not your outline so much that you want people to remember and that they all begin with the letter P, (laughs) right? But it's that, what's the main point? What's the big idea? And so you start with a big idea in some form. Correct. And you end with the big idea. Correct. So that when people walk out the door, they can tell you what they what they think. Even good writers, I came to recognize Chuck do that. That uh, Gordon MacDonald is one of my favorite writers. And in every chapter, he starts out with a little illustration and a premise. And before he ends that chapter, he goes back to the illustration and the premise and says, Okay. This is how it all hangs together. And that makes the chapter meaningful, memorable. Memorable and cohesive. Yes. The secret sauce of TED is the preparation and the structure and the method. Now, one of the things I have noted, and you can comment on this if you will, that there were some speakers at the Junaluska event that didn't use any visual aids. But the others who did, I thought, did a marvelous job of keeping them few, but they used them to really strike home a point, to make something connect better. Your thoughts on the visual aid aspect? I think visual aids are are critical. Some speakers really don't need them. About a third of speakers don't don't need visuals uh, because they're... Their personality, their method of delivery is engaging, and the visual would actually be distracting. Mm-hmm. When a visual aid goes up on the screen, the audience for 10, 15 seconds, their mind is focused on making sense of that. And so what you're saying as a speaker for that 10 seconds is irrelevant. So the, using few visual aids is important and simplifying them to the maximum degree. Word slides, uh, I think Chris Anderson says that bullets are for the Godfather movie, <laughs> not for the TED stage. I make a deal. <laughs> and I, I really believe that 
in the the the, the world of presentation uh, in in the preaching domain. That's that's true. Now, I've I've done uh, day long or a couple day long training sessions with with hundreds of slides, and and probably have. Uh, inflicted a lot of pain on people because of too many words on the slide. And yet I would think, though, in, in your context, it, it leans more toward the informational side, and there's information you got to get to these people. You're teaching. You weren't trying to inspire them to whatever. Yeah, and, and I think you're, you're right. There's, from from just delivering a lot of information that that, that can be powerful, even in that, what I found was that as that short videos really helped that ah, communication. Sure. And even another aspect of the long-term teaching is that is telling stories mm. and hearing stories, right? Because stories are memorable, right? So that's another element that's involved in TED talks, and I think involved in a good bit of preaching. Right is is how you tell stories in a compact way that makes the point in a memorable way, but doesn't allow too many distractions. Right, and I have noted. Now, correct me if I'm wrong. The TED talks tend to be twelve minutes, sometimes as much as eighteen, but not beyond that. Correct. That is correct. Okay. I mean, eight, an eighteen-minute talk is extraordinarily long, and in fact, but. But one of the things that I've noted is that as uh, as speakers develop talks, they often end up, they start long, they start 15, 16 minutes, but helping edit those down when they're at 12 minutes, 12 to 13 minutes, they're actually more powerful. So sometimes reducing the length of it can actually make it more powerful. Mm-hmm. Um because you've you've eliminated some some side points. That doesn't mean I think that a sermon needs to be 12 minutes in length or 18 minutes. I think that's that's irrelevant. But but there is a point of really trying to condense things down mm. to the to as little time as possible. What comes to my mind right now though, perhaps the most famous speech in all of American history is the Gettysburg Address. Right. And how long is that? Seven minutes, maybe, if you talk slowly. <laughs> and yet, we're still reciting that today. Um, Abraham Lincoln had... And, and as I recall the story of that, uh, uh, that day, that the primary speaker... Uh, spoke for an hour or more, and that that message is is oh gone. Is gone. But but Lincoln's short introduction is still uh, in in the uh, in the consciousness. Yes, it is because yeah. because he had he had an idea worth sharing in there for well, sure. I I have a feeling somewhere down the line, Chuck will talk about length of sermons because you know that that's an issue with many pastors that. I can't say it all in 30 minutes. Okay. uh, Good thing, bad thing. You know, preaching an hour, good thing, bad thing. Let's, we'll talk about that someday, huh? Was going back to the stories. That in those 12 to 15 minutes, these excellent TED 
talk speakers will use two or three or more stories to make their point. And hence, it becomes more memorable, it becomes more personable, personal. Um, and I would, I would add to that authentic. Yes. Again, that's that a key author- word. The authenticity, the, the self-disclosure, helps to connect the audience to, to you, the speaker. Correct. And without that, you can be in kind of talking down to people if you're if you're self disclosing if you're if you can engage in authentic behavior, or you can be putting them to sleep, because I get up and I start to preach, and to me this is very very important, but not not necessarily to my people. And if I go on at great length, my homiletics professor. I think uh, this is a rough estimate of what he said, but if you don't bring in some kind of illustration or story every four to five minutes in your your presentation, your preaching, you'll lose your people because they will just glaze over. But it's the story, it's the little bit of humor, it's the illustration that, whatever reason, it just perks us up and tunes us back in. Well, thank you for bringing up the subject of humor, because I think that's an important aspect of both TED Talks and, mm. and preaching, mm. is that humor is a way to engage. Sometimes it's a bit more difficult to have humor that, um, I guess, I like, to some degree, British humor, mm-hmm. because it's often self-deprecating. Mm-hmm. And and that's kind of the least... Uh, uh, least problematic of, of humor. Mm-hmm. So that putting a, just a, a little a little spice of humor helps out. Yeah, I would always call it humor without the ouch factor. If I crack a joke or whatever, and there's anyone out there that can go, ouch, uh, I may want to stay away from that one. Mm-hmm. And the most likely person I can fun at without them going ouch is me <laughs> so yeah a good a good way of expressing it thank you well our time has uh evaporated here and i guess this is the first in a series of podcasts we'll cover quite a number of different subjects we have the intention of making five to seven maybe as much many as ten on different subjects stay tuned for future uh, discussions Thank you for listening. That It's an honor. We're delighted to be here, and we look forward to sharing more information and encouragement in the weeks to come. <laughs>